0: It's no secret the UK housing market is facing one of its biggest supply crises yet. At the start of this year, there were 350,980 properties for sale in the UK, 36% fewer than at the start of 2020. As the number of houses available to buyers remains low, house prices have simply continued to rise. House price growth ended 2021 in double digits at 10.4%, making 2021 the strongest year for growth since 2006. It added around £24,000 to the average house value. Today, we're going to discuss the housing supply crisis in its current state, its impact on the housing market to date and how it might impact the housing market going forward. I'm Ruby Hinschliff, reporter at FT Advisor. Joining me today, I have Imran Hussain, a Nottingham-based broker at Harmony Financial Services, and Ellie Bateman policy officer at Property Mark, the professional body for estate agents. Great to have you both with us. To start um, today, I think it would be good to to do some sort of start of the 10 questions. Um, I know you guys kind of come from different um, points of expertise, so I'd really like to sort of draw that out from you guys to start off with. Um, So first question is to to you, Imran. What impact is the supply crisis having on the mortgage market? It's
1: having not a major impact in regards to Lenders not wanting to lend, so there's no issue there. So, any myths around lenders not willing to lend, we can debunk that straight away. The the issue it's having is there are many people out there who are credit worthy and able to borrow money to purchase a property. The issue we're finding is there's more buyers than ever before for a smaller pool of properties. On average, I'll use my first time experience, there's between 16 and 20 buyers for every property that goes on the market that are in a position to proceed, which is Having a knock on effect and a lot of upset first time buyers or home movers. Um, And I can't see that slowing down immediately.
0: Thanks, Imran. And I I wanted to ask you just off the back of that, um, a few brokers have talked to me about sort of of down valuations, this this effect of kind of house prices going up. And then as a result, um, when it gets to to actually applying for the mortgage, that extra bit these houses have gone up by isn't actually being covered by lenders, um, which makes it even harder for people to, to afford what's already very, very short stock. So are you seeing an issue with down valuations as well?
1: I've not seen a major issue with down valuations, but I have had one yesterday. But that is bearing in mind the property, off you know, was being sold for eighteen thousand pound more than what it was on the market for. So the actual valuation it went on the market for was probably the top end anyway. But then with competition amongst buyers, it's it's at over eighteen thousand pounds above the asking price, and all of a sudden, I know and the clients are well aware that this is likely to be downvalued. And what happens? It's been downvalued. I think people who are purchasing a property can be realistic when they look at a property and think, hold on, it's on the market now for 250. If we offer 280, is it likely to value up? More than likely not. So surveyors are being cautious with finding, but it is generally within the realms of reality, not um, you know being overzealous and downvaluing for no reason.
0: Okay, interesting. We'll we'll, we'll kind of pick up back on that, I think, Um Shortly, but but I want to come to you, Ellie. Kind of other side of the the coin. Um, you've obviously been following the the housing supply crisis quite closely, and and you have a, a great insight into the policy side of things. Um, talk through me through sort of the impacts of policy so far on the housing supply crisis, and perhaps how you think it could policy could solve this crisis we now face. Thanks, Ruby.
2: I um, I think one of the first things I'd say is the housing supply crisis that we're seeing isn't necessarily a national housing supply crisis. I think we've got clear uh, affordability issues, but I think they are to an extent, perhaps not localised, but they are um, kind of regional or geographically sort of space. So I think it's perhaps not such a sweeping statement that we can say that, you know, policy has or hasn't done what it should have, what it was intended to. But I think, um, what we've ended up with is a system that's very unbalanced and that um doesn't necessarily deliver the housing we need where we need it. Um, that you you could look at from sort of a number of different perspectives, really. I think one of the one of the key things we need, if you're talking about how policy uh, can solve the problem is we need a we need a planning bill. <laughs> fundamentally pretty quickly we've been promised that for quite a long time now uh, we were hoping for something before Christmas nothing materialized um, and I'm, I'm sort of keeping everything crossed that something will come through you know this spring um, but we need certainty for developers and investors we need a planning system that's consistent um, adequately resourced um, and transparent so that we can get the investment we need and um, Again, on a sort of from a policy perspective, the, the government's uh, Leveling Up white paper that was published at the start of the year is quite an interesting sort of look at what might lie ahead and what their ambitions are. I think from that, one of the things that fills me with a little bit of concern, really, is the, the scrapping of the eighty twenty rule. Which, um, if you're probably aware, but that that's the kind of funding element of eighty um, percent of of certain funds being um, spent previously anyway, in places where affordability was particularly uh, an issue. So with scrapping that, whilst, you know, uh, Property Mark, uh, we we welcomed the levelling up uh, white paper, Um, certainly got very laudable aims in terms of um, spreading investment throughout the country, which is something we do need, but we don't need it at the expense of investment in uh, places of particularly high demand. So um, whether or not it's politically... Palatable. We do still need investment in the southeast um, and economically successful cities. That's where people want to live. Um, lifestyles did change through the pandemic, and people moved out of cities. People worked from home. Things did did change. But I think over the long term, we still need to be careful that uh, we are seeing investment in places where demand is high, so we can at least to some extent try and tackle those issues
0: of affordability. I think you've made some really good points there Ellie and and I think well that's why I brought you on to sort of give the sort of macro and micro um, overview and I saw Imran, I saw you nodding a lot. Do you want to add anything to that? I know obviously being basically in Nottingham you've got sort of a regional view uh, but I'm sure you've sort of spoken to other people across the country on this.
1: So looking at servicing clients from all over the UK, the, the biggest issue we find generally anything outside the M25, affordability generally isn't a major concern. It's more within the M25 and sort of Greater London where affordability just for some people, even on you know, close to six figure salaries as a household, becomes unattainable to purchase a property because of where they are. There is no point somebody looking to move out of London if work means they have to be in shortage every morning. It's it's not, you know, the, the travel kills it for a lot of people. But that is a major issue. And I do think more affordable methods of housing need to be looked at. And planning does need to ease off or become very, very streamlined. So developers, even smaller developers, where they can get involved and start building houses or returning derelict properties into habitable homes for families, and even schemes which allow key workers to maybe purchase a property at a discount, but then when they sell it in the future, also sell it at a discount. You know, I know there's schemes in Wales, such as a section 106, I think it was, where it's, a cap at 70% of market value, and then it gets sold at the same value again in the future. So that can hopefully ease some of the demand, you know, the issues that people are having with affordability. But where I find the biggest disparity is in London, um, more to do with first-time buyers because of the income and the actual value of homes. So generally, it can be upwards of ten times their gross annual income. So, for example, a young professional maybe on the basic of forty thousand. A house that they're looking at is over four hundred thousand pounds. It's at
0: times unattainable for first-time buyers in London, so that does need to be looked at. Yeah, for, for sure. I I mean, I'm I'm sort of at that age now where I'm looking to potentially buy, um, and I've got friends that have have already or looking, and um, yeah, it's just sort of London is looking pretty unattainable for, for me and and many others, even though we love living here. So, um, you, you know, we, we could potentially get a one bed flat. Um, a very small, small space, um, but 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 a lot of people don't really want to have to settle for such a small space for their first property. You know, it, it feels like a big, a big kind of compromise to make to be in a in a city. Um, and I think now, with the pandemic and the the importance of space, um, I, I think that you know people really don't want to make that compromise anymore. But maybe they did before the pandemic. I, I wanted to ask a, another question around sort of. Um, good quality housing i think that's something that that we should cover um and some some brokers have raised that issue to me that yes we need to build faster and more but we do need to make sure that we build it it, you know to to a certain standard um and i just wanted to pick both of your brains on that maybe ellie i'll come to you first and then imran
2: yeah i think i think that's a really important point what we don't want is um more but not not as good clearly we want high levels of quality we want um you know energy efficient um sustainable housing um there's no point investing uh with a short-term outlook we need these we need stock standards across across the whole stock to be to be elevated and we need the government to be incentivizing that um a- across all tenures so we need um we need new builds to be uh good quality the planning system has a lot to do with that we need um funding for landlords to elevate standards in the private rented sector, um, and we need funding available for homeowners. Um, I don't think it's enough to uh, sort of hope that for the best and think that people will, off their own backs, um, make those improvements to the existing stock. Um, and obviously we have to be mindful that that new builds make up a fraction of, of stock overall. So, um, yeah, I think certainly investing in in what we've currently got um, it's going to be important there. Um, but yeah, you know, planning, building regs, all of those things are, are fundamentally important. But I think um, for the most part, I'm I'm so sort of confident that there are structures in place that that, uh, you know, developers are sort of meeting good standards of, of those. We are looking at alternative fuel sources. Um, you know, a lot of properties are being built now with air source heat pumps and things like that, which is great to see. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately it's like any problem. Um, we need it. We need the right incentives and um, we need a longer term outlook. We don't need funding schemes that have a short shelf life of six months. We need those to be available, uh, you know, for the years ahead so that people can plan work, essentially.
0: Um, yeah. No, I think you've you've raised some some very good points there, Ellie. And Ran, I can see you nodding a lot to, to, to some of that. So do you want to add uh, some points in?
1: Yeah, massively. The the biggest issue that you also touched on as well, Ruby, was the one bedroom flats that most people can afford. I I think more incentives need to be sort of given to developers, current homeowners, even those with empty properties. There's there's pension pots out there that have just literally got stuck of houses which are empty. And it's to incentivise those to be brought back onto the market, whether that's through private rented, whether that's through affordable housing schemes. But the issue I find a lot of developments that I see going up at the moment tend to be one bedroom apartments let's be honest they have a short shelf life if a single first-time buyer moves in meets a partner and they decide to have a child well that property is defunct in the space of five years on average so encouraging developers to build you know homes that clients can stay in for a you know a period of time not just be forced out once a, a baby is born you know because that that tends to be the challenge that i find at the moment that a lot of young couples with children who are really really struggling to get onto the housing ladder because Anything that comes up within budget might only be a one-bedroom apartment, especially if they're in the the southeast or elsewhere. They need more space, but it's just not attainable. So more more needs to be done uh, to build, you know, new homes, but also bring back old uh, derelict properties to the market, because if they're derelict and they're not being looked at or touched, maybe speak to the current owners and think of incentives to allow them to, you know, relinquish the asset
0: as one would say. Yeah, I've found that there's this issue, isn't it, that that if if buyers don't sort of sort of uh feel like they want to put their property on the market and then, you know, you need you need the buyers to put because they need to move don't they but there's no property for them to move to that's the problem and so if they have nowhere to move to then they can't put their property on the market with the full kind of confidence that they're going to have somewhere to move into by the time that they've got their offer sorted um, and, and for, for the place they're trying to sell so it's a, it's a difficult stifling point isn't it in the market um, where you need buyers to feel more confident to, to put their property on sale that feel like they can move into somewhere with, with full confidence and that they're not going to go up against yes like you said 16 20 people per, per house is the the sort of um competition we're seeing um i wanted to, to ask you both so um what does this all sort of mean for the future of home ownership and, and first-time buyers i think you've both sort of touched on a lot on the of this of what you said but but it'd be interesting to sort of look um forward and and you know do we do we feel like this housing supply crisis has severely impacted the generation that is now looking to buy? I guess people like myself, um, Elliot. I'll come to you first.
2: Yeah, I think. I mean, the the, the main problem for me with with um, sort of first time buyers looking to get on the ladder now is is the decoupling of house prices with uh, with wages with salaries. I mean, it, it is astounding, really, how um, how house prices and the commodification of property has. Had that impact uh, on affordability. Um, that I don't think can be solved by building houses. Um, we do need more supply, but but we'll never get to the point where we're building enough to have a meaningful impact on property prices. Um, so, yeah, I think um, in terms of first time buyers and, and what the future looks like uh, there, I think there are sort of bigger factors at play, potentially interest rates. Uh, you know the cost of living crisis we're seeing now um and um incomes tax regimes not necessarily working as they should those things are, i i feel are likely to have a greater impact than uh, on on people's propensity to buy than perhaps um the sort of the supply issues that we might be looking at to solve them not that that isn't important as well, um, but our, our agents, property mark agents, um, have been telling us for, for quite some time that you know first time buyers are still making up around twenty to twenty five percent of uh, of buyers. Um, so I think, um, notwithstanding that the, the issues I mentioned about sort of cost of living crisis, the pandemic did allow people to save a bit more than they perhaps intended to deposits. We have seen um, generally being just slightly larger than you might expect for first-time buyers but i think um, the government definitely if if it is seriously looking to um incentivize home ownership needs to make sure that the schemes that are available aren't just focused on new builds um, you know that they are available to the second-hand market as well um you do pay a premium on new builds and not all first-time buyers um are looking for that um we need to see things like uh, VAT exemptions on on refurbs. I think Imran kind of touched on on that, getting derelict property back into use. Um, uh, so there's there's a lot of kind of policy levers that the government have got at its disposal to um, correct some of these market failures and and some of these issues. Uh, it's not just about chucking money at the problem. So there are other things that that they can do there. And I think reviewing the stamp duty regime as well is probably overdue, I think, Um, you know, you talked about having, we need movement in the market. We need people at the top to be downsizing. You know, we've talked about um, exemptions or rebates for last time buyers, for, um, uh, you know, people moving down, freeing up those family homes so that people have got somewhere to move up to. Um, But for that to happen, we need uh, investment in, uh, you know over 55's property more bungalows that you know all sorts of of housing really to accommodate all needs um yeah that's
0: probably a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think you should be in, in government, to be honest, giving them some ideas. I think you've got you've got plenty. And, and, and Imran, you, I know you've got um, some, some ideas on this as well. And I know you were talking, we were talking before about, about ta- potential tax solutions. But yeah, um, feel free to sort of chime in on this. Yeah, I
1: mean, touching on Ellie's point, around uh, the over 55s, again, that's generally the, the age of client where I find they're struggling to find some, somewhere suitable because... I, we all get old uh, and we will all look for either bungalows or adapt our current property so what's happened what's happened recently is more and more older people have just adapted their current homes so whereas historically people would move home every seven years it's now on average about 13 years where people are looking to move i i'm not a fan at all of stamp duty i personally think it's a crux in the market it doesn't allow families to move because it's an added expense so if you're a a family with two children, you're in a three-bedroom property, you want to upsize, but because your three-bedroom property is worth a bit more now and, and the one you're looking to buy, all of a sudden you're paying thousands extra just to move, no real added benefit. So a lot of people are renovating or extending into their lofts in their current homes, which isn't at all helping the housing crisis, and it's not allowing people to move up and down the housing ladder as easily as it you know should be at the moment, it seems really difficult, even for older buyers who, who are you know, asset rich and cash rich at times to move through the housing ladder. Uh, and dare I say it, should capital gains be looked at, maybe to free up some housing stock, which is where properties are just sat there empty um, and, and investors are happy to just pay the additional council tax because of the capital gains implications, you know, for a basic rate taxpayer, it'd be an 18%. And for a higher rate taxpayer, who generally will have a few properties, 28%, I mean, that definitely needs to be looked at, because I think, along with stamp duty, that will free up a lot more stock. Plus, it'll incentivise investors to think, oh, actually, I'm not being penalised. To sell this property now, yes, it's made a gain, but there is a cap on the amount, whether that's a fixed percentage cap, i.e. 10%, dare I say, across the board, or maybe a fixed monetary amount, i.e. £20,000 as the max you pay as a capital gains, because if a client's got 10 properties, the government is still seeing money come in to the purse, but something has to be done to allow mobility within the housing ladder. Because if not, this so-called crisis will just continue and people will still want to buy because those who do buy are still better off than renting in most cases. Because with cost of living spiraling out of control, rents will have to go up. Uh, Rents won't stay the same. With inflation rising, rents will, will also increase.
0: Yeah, and Imran, you're sort of touching on the next question I had for, for both of you there, which is 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 there a genuine worry for for the sort of future performance, both both of the mortgage market and just the housing market as, as a whole, if this supply crisis isn't isn't solved. Ellie, I'll, I'll come to you, and then I'll come back to you and Imran for any closing thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, cer- certainly, it we need more um, more impactful interventions i think in some ways um one of the things uh, and i know this may not be um sort of necessarily of interest to imam but th- we we are seeing a huge loss of investment from the private rented sector um and that's because of you know tax regimes not doing what they should be um not incentivizing that investment and i think yes whilst we do want to see more people owning their own home there will, through choice or necessity, always be a, a reason to rent, and we need to make sure that landlords um, are investing as well, if if only to provide homes until um, renters can, you know, afford to buy um, themselves. Um, but I think in terms of sort of mortgages, the sort of thing I suppose we'd be more aware of just at the moment is the impact on on energy efficiency and and the kind of problems or pitfalls that might be lying ahead in in that regard, actually. Um, in terms of people being kind of locked out of the mortgage market uh, and unable to, um, you know, remortgage, or uh, again, that comes down to government making funding available and incentives
0: available for people to upgrade properties yeah because i mean surely that's going to impact the, the the supply crisis and and quite a few people have mentioned this worry to me some and it's interesting because I, I spoke some brokers at least i'm not definitely not branching all brokers with the same brush <laughs> i've got Imran looking at me there um but because with some, some brokers i spoke to them i think towards the tail end of last year and a lot of them weren't really talking about um sort of epc stuff um with sort of remortgaging um clients and, and so you know or with landlord by, by to let clients um and, and then i i spoke to to brokers a couple of weeks about go about it again and they sort of start to say, oh well, yeah, you know, it is something we, we we are starting to see an importance of, but but it still doesn't seem to be very top of anyone's agenda. Um and, and that's that's obviously a worry because some people have even sort of suggested this issue of we might get into a mortgage prison situation if people are stuck in in houses that just simply cannot get up to, to that EPC rating. And and I I mean the, the the rental property I'm in at the moment um I think is an EPCD um, but then I looked at the EPC report and things like saying it had double glazing when it didn't. So there's going to be a massive issue with EPC ratings that are out of date um, and perhaps not done properly or to the standard that they now need to be done to that then might see properties go down. And people be like, oh, what? But I thought it was that rating. So I think that that could have a big impact on existing stock and then exacerbate the issue that we have is that there's more stock that is, is, has less value. Um, Imran, what, what, what do you want to add on this?
1: Yeah, so just to touch on the EPC scenario, again, there are lenders out there now already uh, sort of alerting uh, advisors and borrowers of the changes that are due for 2025 for private rented properties to be rated of a C. I, I do think there does need to be some thought around that though, because having a blanket approach and saying, right, the, the great two listed property that's been on rent for the past 40 years needs to be a great you know, grade C, that's potentially never going to happen if... unless it's totally gutted and and rebuilt from the ground up. But there does need to be solutions for older properties that might not be super energy efficient because what we don't want is landlords who have got long-term tenants, the property may be a D rating, it may have insulation, it may have double-glazed windows, it may have everything, but just due to the construction of the home, being from the early 1900s, just cannot get to a C rating. Are they then stuck as a mortgage prisoner or paying a variable rate, which would then just mean landlords look to sell. And then you've got the issue again of private rented stock depleted, which again, we don't want. So I think more needs to be done from not just the lenders, but also the government to come out and go, actually, look, there will always be a solution here if your property doesn't meet the C rating. And because I think it's quite early doors for some of the lenders because they are offering green products, uh, but until the others come to the table i.e., the, the big 20 lenders come along and go this is what we'll do even if it's not i don't really I can't you know i can see a problem with mortgage prisoners if nothing is done but right now because not a lot's been done is possibly why a lot, a lot of brokers haven't really paid attention to it because it's not been changes haven't been announced by lenders but more and more green products are coming to the market which is great and yeah. uh, it's But again, funding needs to be available because there are some landlords who haven't increased rents in years. And, you know, they've just got good tenants and and they're happy to keep rents below market level purely because great tenants and they'll stay in the home and they're not really bothered about making a profit, as as to say, on that home. So unless funding is available, I think the private rented sector will be the one that's impacted the most because if there are pension. Oh,
0: they'll just dump I was just about to say as well the the rising energy prices and we're in a two year fixed contract at the moment that we signed in September 2021 Um, so we were like very lucky we got in just before but but when, once that is up we, we've essentially said as, as our house of that we'll have to move out because we know that the property we're in the price that we will have to pay for energy we simply won't be able to afford so I think once we see those contracts start to run out um, and then yeah people will be, be moving to other places and there'll be certain houses that just people won't want to move into because the bills will be too high Um, so I think that but ultimately Imran though to, to summarise what is your worry Um, if this housing supply issue is not solved
1: the biggest biggest worry is just lack of stock. If, it, if we're going to have borrowers who can borrow, paying through the nodes uh, for properties, and that's my biggest concern, it's lack of stock and lenders. Then, see, from a lender's perspective, it doesn't matter because there'll be if there's 16 people who can borrow for a mortgage, one of them will get a mortgage. But the, the lack of supply will just dishearten a lot of people. Will people look to move further afield out of economic hotbeds? So, will people look to move out of London? Birmingham, major cities with a lot of employment. So that's my biggest concern. It's do, do cities then all of a sudden become ghost towns because people can't afford to live there.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is, a, is a potential. I mean, if if prices continue continue to rise, and, and, and I think growth is, is going to slow this year. It surely has to at some point, house price growth. Um, but I don't think it's going to sort of by any means dip um yeah. i think growth. we're not going to
1: have a massive crash i can't see a massive crash happening but don't get me wrong lenders have adjusted affordability models already this year i mean HSBC bc were the first to do it when energy bills rise. they adjusted how much they'll borrow clients again that was the announcement that they did but people won't really notice the difference but lenders will keep an eye on costs of living and how much clients can borrow
0: yeah, and I wanted to come back to, to Ellie just on the um, policy front and planning policy front. I know that the, the, it got delayed in terms of the announcements, um, and if we're looking sort of into the future and, and, and changes to be expected, when when are we supposed to be expecting this this change? And what's would you say is the sort of underlining most fundamental change that the government could do from a planning perspective? So I don't have a huge amount of
2: clarity on that. I think what we're anticipating is is a kind of spring uh, planning bill, but spring could be, you know, now until summer recess, essentially. So timescales, who knows? Um, I think that the single biggest thing that, that the government really need ra- rather than, you know, the wholesale reforming of the planning system, because I don't necessarily agree that the planning system is is broken i think there are parts of it that do work um but local planning authorities fundamentally need to be adequately resourced to implement to enforce to do their jobs um, they also need to have um access to funding you know upfront financing marginal viability funding those kind of things so that they can sort of take a more plan-led approach um, rather than be reliant on developers in a, a piecemeal fashion i think then we'd see housing supply in the areas we need it the right sort of tenures to supply the sort of housing we need where we need it ultimately um, and i think yeah they, they need to have those powers and and the funding to do to do
0: that um yeah and in terms of kind of coming to you both now on sort of my closing crystal ball question, I think we've we've covered a lot here. Um, and I think this is, is a, probably an impossible question for you both to answer. But I like asking difficult questions because I'm a journalist. Um, when do you think the housing supply crisis will be solved if it can be solved at all? Um, Imran, I'll come to you first.
1: Why? Well, right. so you want me to give you a fixed year of when it can be solved i don't think it will be solved immediately but i think plans can be put in place to incentivize sellers because there are many schemes out there already to help buyers help to buy um, affordability is probably as strong as it's going to get for, from mortgage lenders with regards to income multiples um, a lot of lenders are doing five times income but again depends on profession but until Sellers are actually now incentivised. The duty holiday proved that it was great because families were then moving and there was mobility within the housing ladder. So um, the government would like to scrap that. It'd be more than welcome. Um, But potentially looking at the capital gains changes potentially to allow investors to offload property, um, maybe at a quicker rate than they are doing now, uh, mainly due to taxation and landlords can no longer write off mortgage interest rate relief. So that's no longer a thing. They're now paying the tax on the gross rental income they receive. So the taxation hasn't worked for landlords. So well, why not incentivize for them to sell without a massive penalty? Because if not, we are going to be here in 10 years' time talking about how to solve the housing crisis. But to add mobility, I think that the taxation system needs to be looked at um, to you know, incentivise sellers to free up stock and allow first-time buyers to get on the ladder like yourself, a bit.
0: Yeah, that would be nice. I would like that. <laughs> and and what about you, Ellie? What, what's your answer to this quite difficult question?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it is a difficult question. But I think I, I mean I'm I'm confident that it I, I certainly think it can be solved. But I think what we need is the political will to want to do it. And unfortunately, that means that means government spending. They've got to invest in a in a meaningful way if they want to solve it. Um, we need we need you know affordable rents we need more landlord investments we need we we need more investment across all housing options essentially um and we need systems tax regimes planning systems we need everything to function as it should i think we've got a lot of sort of unintended consequences as imran said we've got we've got tax regimes that incentivize certain behaviors or, or Disincentivise certain behaviours, and I think all of that needs to be comprehensively looked at. Really, I think looking at the planning system in isolation um, isn't going to be necessarily particularly helpful. Um, but I think more a more flexible planning system would be a good thing, and I'm hoping that that's what the government will will propose. Although I think a lot of the um, the kind of zoning ideas and those kind of things that we saw in in the white paper may well be be kicked to the curb but um but yeah i certainly think it can be solved i think the pandemic showed us that when government wants to do something and wants to spend money on it it can we we saw rough sleeping virtually disappear during the during lockdowns because the government spent money on it so i think it's it's a, a kind of clear uh, example that um it is that political will and the money behind it that we need to solve this so fingers crossed they they realize that sooner rather than later
0: yeah, I think I think from from what you're both saying is sort of the, number one, money needs to be spent, but number two, very quickly followed, as it needs to be spent in the right way. And I think you guys have both very very well encapsulated some of the different ways that that, that money could be spent um, to sort of incentivise sort of people to move and and houses to be built um, in order to, to solve this this crisis. And hopefully, as Imran said, we won't be here in ten years' time talking about why we still have a housing crisis. Um, hopefully, um, some of these issues will be solved in the in the Years to come, but I want to, to thank you both very much for, for coming on the podcast uh, today. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you, Imran. Um, it's been a pleasure to, to hear your insights on this. It'll be an issue that, that we continue to cover here at FT Advisor. So, so do watch this space. But um, goodbye for now.
1: Support
2: for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.